0: Book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. Reading from the ESV, hear the words of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. These are God's words. You may be seated. Uh, For any of our babies, our city like kids, you can be dismissed with Brother Jonathan on this morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Amen, amen, amen. Uh, glad to see our Hot Wing brothers are, are here with us, some of them at least, because if you saw them last night, uh, I have my doubts on if they would be with us today, because they, they were in great distress, uh, except for Jonathan, except for Jonathan. Uh, I think it's the beard, but I could be wrong. Uh, shout out, I want to give a shout out to uh, my son, my uh, I would say oldest because we have Zoe at home, uh, who graduated from Hans uh, this week, this past week. <laughs> amen, amen. We were uh, a little concerned about him for a minute, uh, but we we backed off. You know, as parents, you know it's hard to know how much rope to give and when to give that rope. Uh, and so we we kind of said, okay, man, you know you're. You're getting on up there. We're going to give you this time and let you have it. And uh, he did. Not only did he graduate when he was supposed to, but he graduated with honors. So uh, we are extremely proud of him and the labors that he put forth. And the best part is he paid for it himself. Amen. Amen. Yes. So he'll move from here, prayerfully, the Lord willing, to uh, MC in January, and we are extremely proud uh, of him and his labors. Uh, We are, my bad, I heard it, but I didn't hear it. I thought that was y'all actually playing that, and it is not wanting to go out. There we go, amen. Uh, But as you guys know, this is Advent season for us. Uh, We always lean into Advent time here at City Light Church, Uh, and we are now at week three of our time together in Advent, focusing our hearts on Advent, the coming uh, of the Lord. And um, I say it all the time when I'm up before you guys, and I, I hope you never tire of hearing me say it because I will continue to say it. I hope that this time has been a blessing to you. And why do I keep saying that? I don't want these moments to ever become common to us. You know, there are people in parts of the world that don't have this privilege to sit and to gather openly as God's word is preached, and so I don't want us to take those moments for granted, to take them as common, because there will be a time when us, when we as well, will not have the privilege to come together in this way. Uh, And so I want us to treasure God's word. And I want us to treasure sharing with the the family of God, hearing God's word. Amen? You see, in Advent, we look to God's promise. We look to the arrival of God's promise. And we look to the arrival of this promise in two ways. We look back to the promise that was born of a virgin, wrapped in flesh, uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, you know how the Christmas story goes, and, and laid in a manger, the, the promise that would one day lay down his life for the sins of the world. But we also look forward to the promise who was raised from the dead, who now sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Scripture says, the promise who said, in my Father's house, rather, there are many rooms. One translation says, many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be there also. The first promise, if you recall from John, Pastor Brian mentioned, you know, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The first advent, he came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But the promise that we look forward to is coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming as a conquering king. And yes, it will be joy as we sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. It will be a joy to some, but it will be for judgment to others. In much less glory, we celebrate another arrival or getting ready to celebrate another arrival. And no, we're not pregnant. Um, Next week, my brother, Lord willing, uh, we'll celebrate another birthday. Our Dear Pastor Brian Crawford, Amen. Amen. It's okay. Amen. I'm thankful to God for his arrival. Uh, I had the pleasure. Many of you know Crawford and I have been together for many, many years. And uh, if my mind serves me correctly, I believe next year will be 30 years that we have known each other and been uh, kicking it together. And it is, uh, in my opinion, one of the best ways that God has demonstrated his love to me over the last 45 years, connecting with him and his family and how they welcomed me in and and made me one of their kids. And I'm grateful to Mother Uh, and for Pastor Crawford, who is no longer with us up in glory. uh, Grateful for you guys. Um, After God put us together, Crawford, uh, Brother Quincy, I know you've heard him talk about and me talk about him often, uh, and myself, we were kind of inseparable. Uh, Even on last week, we had some guests here who mentioned, you know, hey, it's good to see that y'all are still together. Uh, We are, we were. Where you saw one, you saw the other, whether it was at school, because we all went to Vicksburg High School, go Gators. Uh, Yes, yes. Uh, Whether it was at the mall, as you heard about uh, a couple of weeks ago, where all the cool kids used to hang out at and eat Corn Dog 7. I wasn't much for video games, but I would watch them uh, play video games. Or whether it was at the once very famous here in Vicksburg, Mississippi, Ryan's Family Steakhouse. Anybody remember Ryan's? We used to work there uh, together, all of us, Brian Quincy uh, and myself. We were in our, our mid-teens and we spent uh, many an hour, many a weekday and many a weekend as servers at Ryan's. Server is a fancy way of saying we wait at tables. We were waiting tables. In our text this morning in James, James is writing to a people who are waiting. They are waiting for the coming of the Lord. The second advent And James is encouraging them that as they wait to be patient. But patience as we are called to in this text is not passive, this is not a call to pull up our spiritual lawn chairs and to gaze up at heaven waiting for his arrival. This word of patience is a call to work and to witness. So that's what I hope to encourage our hearts in this morning, that as we are waiting, we are working working to keep our hearts in a posture where we are waiting in joyful expectation for his arrival, to be ready for his arrival, and that we are working as witnesses, urgently pointing others to his arrival. Working witness. Again, James isn't writing to a people who are waiting in the sense of a group waiting for a table. You know, we went out to... Uh, I took a couple out to lunch a few weeks ago. My wife and I, uh, sister had just lost her dad, and we we wanted to love on them a moment. And so we called around to a couple of restaurants, and everybody had like this 45, 50-minute wait. If you've ever been to a restaurant in Jackson, you've experienced that. But this isn't waiting in the sense that you wait for a table, this is waiting in the sense that we were waiting on tables at Ryan's. Now, I didn't realize it back then, but it was hard work. If you've ever been a server at a restaurant, man, it is hard work. James is writing. James is writing to a people who are waiting in the sense, again, of a group waiting tables. Writing with the expectation that people of faith are people who serve. If you're familiar with the book of James, this isn't news to you. We find these words in James chapter 2, verse 14, very familiar passage of Scripture. What good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister sees, uh, excuse me, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one says to And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving him the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will say, I will show you my faith by my works. In James 1 verse 4, the word says, but let patience have her perfect work in you. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If you aren't familiar with the book of James and this running theme and call to work, uh, uh, we can still find this expectation in our text this morning in James chapter 5 and the examples that he gives to us in James chapter 5. Look with me at James 5 and 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer for the precious fruit of the earth by being patient about it until it receives the early and latter rains to demonstrate the kind of patience James is pointing us to. He gives us the example of a farmer. I'm not a farmer, but of all the jobs that I think about that might carry a light workload, farming is not one of them. When I think about farming, I think about sun up to sundown, hot, sweaty, dirty, smelly, back hurting, feet hurting work. When I think about farmer, I think about constant task and a seemingly never-ending to-do list. I mean, just think about the song that we sing to our kids about old McDonald, Old McDonald had a farm, e-i-e-i-o. And on that farm he had some cows. oh, with a moo-moo here and a moo-moo there, here a moo, there a moo, everywhere a moo-moo. Old MacDonald had a farm. oh. The man had cows mooing, chickens clucking, ducks quacking, pigs onking, turkeys gobbling, dogs woofing, sheep's baying, horses neighing. And he has all of this, the song says, here, there, and everywhere. This is really a Lamb Chops moment. But instead of being the song that never ends, it's the work of old McDonald's job that doesn't end. And this is just the animals. We haven't talked about the barns, the pens, the fences, the coops, all of the places where these animals live that have to be kept up. We haven't mentioned any of their care or any of their feeding. We haven't mentioned the, fa- the fields on the farm. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. What does it look like for a farmer to wait What does patience look like in between the early and the late rains? Agricultural journalist Megan Schilling shares this in an article found on agriculture.com. It's 10 tips for planning season success. I'm not going to share all 10, but I just want to share a few of these tips with you. Number one on the list is to create a plan to reach your yield goal. She shares in the article, quoting Tana Petersack, first and foremost, farmers need to determine a yield goal and create a detailed plan to reach it. She goes on to say, soil tests are extremely important to know the productivity and fertility of acres and learning where to improve. Ideally, ideally, this should be done over the fall and winter months. Planting begins with a plan. Before any seeds are sown, before anything is planted, before any physical labor leading to harvest is done, there must be a plan. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. He is looking to a yield goal. See how the farmer waits. Number two on the list is to prepare your planting equipment. Quoting Jeff Mueller in her article, she says, in order to be ready when it's go time, ensure the planter is set up. So before seed is sown, before anything is planted, before any physical labor towards the harvest is done, you have to have a time of planning and you have to have a time of preparation. Matthew 3 and 1, he says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of the Lord crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. While James is calling his audience to work as they wait for the coming of the Lord, I want us to see and understand that this work did not begin with us. This work doesn't begin with us. There is one who has a plan for us, one who has made preparations for that plan, and one who orchestrates the planting. John 15, 1 says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. In Matthew 20, we find these words, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. 1 Corinthians 3 and 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So the plan belongs to God. The preparation belongs to God. The seed belongs to God. The vine belongs to God. The fields belongs to God. We just read the text in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they who dwell therein. We are privileged to be called as God's fellow workers, laboring in his vineyard, awaiting the coming of the Lord. Speaking on the topic of being God's fellow workers, Pastor David Guzik, and I probably butchered that, he shares the following. The word workers itself is important. There is something good and important in work itself. So much so that God wants us to be workers together with him. God's best for our life is never a state of ease and comfort and indulgent inactivity. Even if we did all those things together, God wants us to be workers together with him, not couch potatoes or pew potatoes together with him. We are workers together with him. Paul never said God works together with us. It isn't our work that God helps us with. It's his work that, he's at, that he asks us to do together with him. Instead of trying to get God to help us with our work, we need to find out what God's work is and to do it with him. End quote. So if the plan, the preparation, the seed pot, the place, and the production are all on God, Where does our work come in? According to our article on agriculture.com, tip number four in 10 tips for planting season success, number four is keep timing and weed pressure top of mind. The instruction that we receive in James chapter 5 again is, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits. The farmer understands timing. There is a window for both planting and for harvest. If you miss the window, window, excuse me, for planting because you fail to properly plan and prepare, then you negatively affect the ability of the seed to produce. Harvest too early and you don't get the full yield of the seed. Harvest too late and you may see the produce of your seed rotting in the fields. Again, there are some things that are so important that they land squarely in God's timing. Galatians 4 and 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Matthew 24 and and 36, But concerning that day and hour, this is speaking of the day of Jesus' return, Scripture says, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So the timing of the first advent was on God, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son. And the timing of the second advent is God. But he does tell us to be mindful of time. In John 9 and 4, we see these words. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Even in our text this morning, there is a a word of caution regarding time. As he says, brother, be patient. Brothers, rather. Brothers, be patient until the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is pointing to an appointed time. God doesn't want us to be wasteful with our time wants us to be mindful of it. Tip number four is twofold. You have the issue of time, and then you have the issue of weeds. Quoting Tana Petersack again, she says, knowing weed profiles and learning how to keep fields clean is crucial. In Matthew 13, as you look at the parable uh, of the sower where it's explained, the text says in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. But here, verses 22 and 23. As for what was sown among thorns, this is he who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. We know from the text that the seed is the word of God. And we know that the seed is all on God, so we know that the seed is good. We can also see from the text that, uh, excuse me, the soil where the seed is sown is the heart. Does anyone remember the field belongs to. Soil speaks to field. Anybody remember who this field belongs to? According to First Corinthians 3 and 9, you are God's field. So the seed belongs to God and the field belongs to God. Why then is there so much variance in the yield? Looking back at Matthew, he says, one hears the word and thorns, the cares of the world, the seedfulness of riches, choke the word and make it unfruitful. Others hear the word and understand it but, uh, and bears fruit, but some 100, some 60, some only 30 fold. Why the variance? If the seed is good and the soil belongs to God, why is there so much variance in what the, the, the seed is able to produce? Again, the article says in tip number four, keeping timing and weed pressure top of mind. I've spoken to the issue of time and how there are parts of time that are all on God, but he does ask us to be mindful of the time. The farmer has to keep the time in mind, and the farmer has to keep weed pressure in mind. What are the weeds in your field? What cares, what deceitful of riches or pleasure are choking the word? that has been sown into your heart? What are the weeds in your life that are pressing you and either making you completely unfruitful or causing you not to be as fruitful as you otherwise could be? Is there a weed of doubt in your field? Is there a weed of slothfulness or procrastination in your field? Is there a weed of fear in your field weeds of lust and lawlessness anger discontentment or pride if there are weeds of doubt in your field they can cause you to disbelieve in the first advent and so you won't even bother to prepare for the second if there are weeds of slothfulness and procrastination in your field they can cause you to be a lazy believer and you could find yourself unprepared for the second advent We see this demonstrated in the parable of the ten virgins who took no oil, Scripture says. And in turning back to go and get what they should have already had with them, they missed the coming of the bridegroom. What are the weeds in your field? And are they choking the word in your heart, causing you to be unfruitful? Schilling says in the article, know your weed profiles and learn how to keep your fields clean. The work of weeding is constant, and we must always be constantly on guard for anything that would choke the life of the seed that God has planted in us. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. The Why? Why the constant weeding? Why the concern? Why be concerned about the pressures of life? Why guard my heart? Why is it so important to have a clean field? Psalmist writes in. Psalms 51 and 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with your willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. A clean field speaks to our ability to worship. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit with me. Cast me not away from your presence. A clean field speaks to our ability to worship God. If you've ever had times in your life, seasons where you were stressed and your heart was just filled with weeds, what was your worship like? What was your prayer life like? And our worship fuels our longing for his arrival and our longing fuels our witness we want to be used by God but are we doing the hard work of heart work so that we can be conditioned to be used by God look with me at the rest of our text James 5 verses 8 through 10 you also be patient establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Note again that we have the call to be patient. And again, we have word concerning the coming of the Lord, but it changes. In verse 7, he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. This speaks to the maintenance required to endure as we wait for his coming. In verse 8, it's be patient for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This speaks to the urgency needed so that we don't fail to do the required maintenance. My wife is consistently frustrated with me about anything, and I'm sure that list is long, uh, but On that list would certainly be my lack of urgency and maintenance around the house. She would say the gutters need to be cleaned out. And they do right now, have for a couple of months. My response is always, but is the house falling apart? You know, like the, you know, but did you die? You know, that's my response. Is the house falling apart, you know? The leaves, will get, you know, we'll take care of the gutters. Because I'm not a do-it kind of guy when it comes to home maintenance. I'm gonna pay another guy to do it, kind of a guy. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. My wife, not so much. But I acknowledge that the house does require maintenance, right? Much like our fields require maintenance. Looking at verse 8, uh, uh, our hearts require maintenance. He says, establish your hearts. Please note again the call to pain, patience, excuse me, It's followed by a call to action. You see, be patient, establish your hearts. Note again that some things are so important that they begin and end with God. In Psalm 51, again, we see the psalmist saying, creating me a clean heart, oh God. I'm not creating in me a clean heart. You, God, create in me a clean heart. A clean heart begins with the work of God, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. So when we see establish our hearts in verse 8, this isn't creation. This is maintenance. God creates. God calls us to labor. God is sustaining us in our labor. So what is the maintenance of establishing your heart looks like? The CSB says strengthen your hearts. It's the Greek words to reach so. Probably pronounced that wrong, but it's Strong's number, 4741. And it means to make firm or solid, to create or excuse me, to cause to be inwardly firm or committed. The basic idea is that of stabilizing something by providing support, like one would to a tomato plant. Or what I've seen my wife do sometimes with the plants in the house, she may put a ruler or a stick or something in the plant to give it support. One theologian says this about strengthening our hearts. You must put iron in your hearts. Strengthen is aorist imperative calling for a decisive act to strengthen their inner spiritual life. It is a call to them to rely on the spirit to carry this out. This is not just pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, as the saying goes. Strengthening paradoxically involves weakening of our self-confidence, of our trust in our ability to do anything we set our mind to do. That technique may work in some secular activities, but it will, excuse me, be spiritually futile and lead to failure when we are weak Then we are strong, is the paradoxical principle that the world scoffs at as absolute foolishness. In fact, it is absolute wisdom. In context, they will be motivated to obey this command by turning their gaze heavenward, contemplating the return of the Lord, end quote. The call to strengthen your heart is a call to stand firm by falling dependently on the help of the Spirit. We maintain by maintaining our roots in his word. But what makes this maintenance so important? Like soil has seasons, our lives have seasons. Yes, you should have experiences that John Piper calls white hot worship. Yes, you should have seasons where time and Scripture is life-giving and illuminating. You should have seasons where your prayer life is vibrant and powerful. That's what we see in nature, right? Flowers bloom in certain seasons. Trees produce in certain seasons. Crops grow full in certain seasons. But there are also seasons where the ground lies dormant. Seasons where the ground is cold and hard, seasons where nothing is in bloom and there is no sign or are no signs of any life. Can our life in Christ be this way? Can it feel that way sometimes? Our life in Christ, can it be cold? Can it seem hard? Can it seem void of any life? Can it seem unfruitful? You've ever had times where it was hard to read scripture, and when you did, it seemed like you weren't getting anything out of it? Have you had times in your life, your walk with Christ, where your prayer life felt dry? It seemed like your prayers weren't going any higher than the season, ceiling of whatever room you were in. Seasons where it felt like your prayers were going unheard and unanswered. This is why patience is needed to endure the seasons while holding firm to our expectation of his coming. This is why maintenance is so important to remind ourselves that the promise of his coming does not rest on what we have done, but what God has done for us. And the encouragement for us, family, as believers of God, God leaves nothing to chance where it concerns your life and future in Christ. He is not just Alpha and Omega. He's holding up the middle as well. Colossians tells us that for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So in your springtime, It is God who is making you fruitful. In your summer, it is God who refreshes you from the heat of the days of your life. In your fall, it is God who supports you and brings beauty when everything around you seems to be dying. And through your winter, it is God who is sustaining you. Now unto him, scripture says is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ we can have the patience and strength to endure any hardship in any season as we wait for the coming of the Lord because of what God has done through Christ what God is doing through his spirit in us and what God will do through the second advent of his son And our work of making clean hearts and laboring in the fields of our hearts is to remind our hearts and to fill our hearts with this truth. To remind ourselves that yes, there were a time or there was a time when we were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Continue in our text as we move toward close, to a close. In James 9, we have almost a word of caution that flows from weed-filled, unfruitful, and impatient heart. As he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In our marriage boot camp, call it what it is, We talked about noise and how in times of life where uh, uh, things are hard and things are heavy and, 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 and we get impatient and we get unruly, there's noise that comes in and it makes communication and connectivity difficult. Impatience with God can often lead to impatience with God's people. And the behavior that typically follows is a behavior that is unloving and a behavior that warrants judgment. The final verse gives us yet another encouragement to be patient and one final example of what patience should look like in the life of one who is longing for the coming of the Lord. He says in James 10, excuse me, James 5, verse 10, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So if our impatience can lead to behavior uh, uh, that is unloving and warrants judgment, our patience in God should lead to a demonstration of love and move to act to cover the fault, protecting others from judgment. The most loving thing that we can do for those around us is to live our lives in a patient, time-aware, weed-pulling, God-dependent, gospel-rehearsing, Christ-example way in hopes that others will not just hear, but see your patience and also long for the Lord that you long to, that you long for. James is calling us to patience. But patience doesn't put us on the sidelines. Patience is us actively waiting for the coming of the Lord. Patience is us working on the weeds of our heart while we wait for the coming of the Lord. Patience is us worshiping while we wait for the coming of the Lord. And yes, that's even when you don't feel like it. Patience is us laboring as faithful witnesses to the Lord. And patience is living as if the Lord could come back today. May we go and wait well. Amen. Let us pray.